0: A Lufthansa A320 is trying to land in Warsaw when they run into some complications, what caused this flight to ultimately overrun the runway.
1: Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
2: I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. And today... We have. Hi, I'm Paige. Paige is here <laughs> again.
1: Paige is back. The amazing, Hi, friends. illustrious, illustrious, multifunctional Paige.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
1: The podcast's multi-tool. <laughs>
2: I actually really like that. I may just identify as a multi-tool now.
1: The, the podcast's multi-tool. <laughs> oh my does, gosh. Does the many a thing behind the scenes now for us that makes things operate. Because. And it's so
0: wonderful. Let me tell you, if we were in charge of it, none yes. of it would get done on time. And they are here
1: today because they were helping us do many of the multifunctional things behind the scenes are they today? Trying to. Yes.
2: <laughs> Speaking of which, we are hoping to get your ducks and your merch out like your Patreon merch out by next weekend? Yes. Is the plan? But, yes. Uh, We've certain... run
3: into
1: a couple of snags.
3: Yes. A certain website that produces postage is not our friend.
1: Yes. So we're having to probably do some manual processes, which are taking longer. So, so that's the thing. That's so, a thing. Yeah.
3: Yes. So, so they're, they're not here because Miranda knows what's happening. It's, it's no. just, you happen to be here. Yeah. yeah.
0: I also have no idea what's going on. So that'll be fun. This is an airline we've oddly never covered before?
1: Which is, yeah, kind of strange because they are a very large airline, a very historic airline, and they certainly have had other crashes. I just feel like they haven't come up in our recommendations ever, and I don't know why. Huh. So.
0: That being said, remember to check out the newsletter and also be warned, we sometimes change what is coming out in that month. Yes, we have Which changed happened. some things <laughs> Yeah,
1: um, for a multitude of reasons.
0: Someone
3: recommended a report that had 622 pages, and I said, I don't have the spoons for that. So we didn't do it.
1: <laughs> it is we a pushed, lot. It's we also it. not a traditional report when we pulled it up, so it was going to be a, an extreme amount of work, basically, to pull that one off. So we have pushed that one. It will happen eventually, but it's going to take... A lot more focus than we have right now. Especially and most <laughs> of
3: this table has ADHD. So
1: Between the ADHD <laughs> and the fact that um for a small life update that nobody really needs to know about, our kitchen has suddenly become in disarray. What with It imploded. Yes. What with having a very large pipe burst underneath? So
3: And having to spend approximately twelve thousand dollars to have that fixed. Woo! Um my spoons are gone.
1: Yeah, this is
2: I feel you on a, the low
1: spoons. A trip. So that's where we're at. We're, we're trying. We're, we're adulting. We're adulting. I hate it. Things who are happening.
0: likes adulting? Nobody. If you like adulting, you're a cycle. You know
1: who likes adulting? Kids. They think they like adulting. Well, yeah. Just we you feel they wait. they actually have to right. be an adult. Just you wait.
0: They're like, when I'm an adult, I'm not going to have to do anything. I'm like, false. In fact, you have to do more. <laughs> and it's stuff that you don't want to do. Right. It's all your responsibility now.
2: Yes.
3: If I had to choose right now between the $12,000 bill and doing a night of math homework.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 100% oh, yeah. math homework. No. yeah. 100%. <laughs> I can procrastinate either. And <laughs> one of them is... Way more consequential than the other in life right now. like,
0: <laughs> Which Fast. means just so. do your day of math homework do it. and just, just be happy about be it. Be happy
1: about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it ain't fun. Just do it. <laughs> Enjoy these years. They're not kidding.
3: We acknowledge we're not talking to most of you. Yes. There are a couple of you.
1: There are some of you who are probably thinking exactly the same thing. So,
0: <laughs> All right. We have a new patron. I saw it.
1: We have a new patron. We
0: have a new patron. Who is an
1: annual patron. Yes. Which Can
3: always we? scares the crap out of me when I see, because it says, Welcome and, to your new very large amount patron. Like, right. excuse me? No, that's an annual amount. It's
2: five. And we I appreciate it. We really their do. their name was Tessa. No, I think it sure. was
0: Lindsay. It's Laura. Laura. God, oh, I'm so wow. far. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: was
1: going to say, I'm pretty sure it's Laura. Oh, um,
0: yeah. Okay. Hi, L- Laura. Laura. Hello, Laura. Laura. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome. All Thanks right. Thanks for. I think we blabbled on enough. Yes, sure. So, what are we covering today, Nick? Today
1: we are covering Lufthansa flight.
0: I was literally gonna say it's gonna be a Lufthansa <laughs> flight. It is legit. I had no idea. By the way, I didn't know it was Lufty, but yep, it's Lufty. Yep,
1: it's Lufty flight twenty nine zero four.
0: I thought we covered a Lufthansa when we did the minisode series. We did.
1: We might have. Yes, a very short one. Yes. Yes. Yes, we did. You're correct. But we've never covered a full episode of one. Ever. So this will be a first. Thank you, too.
3: Thank you, too, Kenneth.
1: Kenneth. Thanks, Kenneth. This one's been on the schedule for a little while, so appreciate it.
3: And we do acknowledge that it is airing one week off than what we told you. But again, we had to move the dreaded 622 page report.
1: This one was significantly easier to stomach. (laughs) This accident occurred on September 14th of 1993. Two years and a day before I was born.
2: I was four.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, this was an Airbus A320 with the tail number Delta Alpha India Papa November. This was a flight from Frankfurt to Warsaw, as you do. You do? As you do. (laughs) They still fly this route a lot.
0: I imagine. (laughs) Warsaw to where?
1: Frankfurt to Warsaw.
0: Frankfurt to Warsaw.
1: Yes, as they are wont to do, because Germany
0: to Poland.
1: Yes, because Lufthansa is German, and their bases are Frankfurt and Munich, and they do a lot of that. It turns out so. The captain, I don't have names, was forty-seven years old. He had twelve thousand seven hundred seventy-eight hours total, of which one thousand four hundred forty-eight were on the A320. The first officer is kind of complicated. Was also 47 years old, had 11,361 hours, of which 1,595 were on the A320. So more hours on the A320 by about 150, but about 1,000 hours, actually almost 1,500 hours less in total than the captain. This first officer was the check pilot for the, on, captain. For the captain on this flight. So, this first officer was doing the check flight while the captain was being checked off. The reason for that is because the captain had not flown in over 90 days. So this was checking off the pilot. Currency, basically. Currency, yeah, to go fly, the captain's currency. So there was technically two captains in the cockpit. They both also had the same qualifications on other aircraft types. They were both qualified in the 727 and the 707, which were both in Lufthansa's fleets over the years. And are both obviously type rated on the A320 and have pretty similar hours. The reason they have pretty similar hours, and I can assume they were probably pretty well known to one another, what with being the same age and very similar hours and working for the same company for so long on the the same same types. types. So you can assume that these two probably knew each other, though we have nothing to go on with that because it's not stated anywhere. I mean, I don't even have names. But that said, the whole thing with that is the A320 was still pretty new. It had only entered service in 1989. So we're talking, this is 1993. The airplane's only barely been in service for about four years. So- it's as
0: old as Paige was. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah.
1: So neither of them have an exorbitant amount of hours on the E320, what with it being new. So that's setting up who's in the cockpit. In Frankfurt, six crew and 64 passengers boarded the flight to Warsaw. Not a full airplane.
0: Nope.
1: The crew and aircraft had already done two flights that day. They had done Frankfurt to Barcelona and Barcelona to Frankfurt.
0: Well, there you go. (laughs) Gotta get back. Right.
1: Well, they're a hub-and-spoke airline for sure. That's how they work.
0: As are
3: most airlines that are successful. Except for (coughs) Southwest.
1: Southwest. (laughs) Yes. As are most airlines in Europe, because usually the... Airlines in Europe have one city in their country of origin to work out of. So the option is pretty much hub and spoke because they can't usually get the rights to operate a hub in another country.
3: There are a couple of exceptions, Germany being one of them.
1: Yes. And usually they will also try to get, there's a lot, this is very complicated, but they'll try to start a new airline all together with the same name in the other country. So those are the exceptions, but usually the case is they're hub and spoke from their country of origin. The captain in the left seat was the pilot flying for this leg, while the captain in the right seat was to be the pilot monitoring, as well as of course the check pilot, and this would be the final flight to complete the check for the left seat captain after the 90-day absence, so this being the third flight of the day was qualified enough hours and enough flights to sign him off and let him continue. Don't know why the 90-day absence, no note on that. The flight took off from Frankfurt at 4.27 p.m. local time. The takeoff, climb, and cruise were normal. The flight was cruising at flight level 330 or 33,000 feet. The flight crew listened to the ATIS information or automated terminal information system for Warsaw a few times between 5.08 p.m. and 5.12 p.m. This is not a very long flight. For those of you that have any inkling that this was long, it's not. (laughs) At which time they received information uniform. So if you recall on ATIS, when you get the ATIS information because it changes regularly, which we'll talk about later on, the ATIS information comes with a name, basically, for that hour. A letter. And it's a letter. And so this was information uniform, or you, of course. So you have to relay that information when you speak to the air traffic controllers.
3: You say, that, hi, hello, I'm this flight, I'm coming in, and I have information
1: uniform. Such and such. That tells them that you have gotten the most recent ATIS information, which includes NOTAMs and weather and anything that needs to be told about the airport you're flying into. So it's important stuff for them to have. It basically makes sure that the air traffic controller knows, okay, you are aware of the situations at the airport right now. From here, we can just proceed with instructions. That's it. Not information, instructions. 5.14 p.m. and 59 seconds, the flight crew asked Warsaw Air Traffic Control for a descent to flight level 190 or 19,000 feet, and the air traffic controller cleared them to do so. About five, four and a half minutes later, at 5.19 p.m. and 12 seconds, The air traffic controller told the flight to continue flying directly to VOR WAR, or Warsaw, the Warsaw VOR. 5.21 p.m. in 9 seconds, the flight crew reported being at flight level 190, or 19,000 feet, and the air traffic controller instructed them to remain there at 19,000 feet. 5.22 p.m. in 50 seconds, the air traffic controller instructed the flight to change to the Warsaw approach frequency, and they acknowledged and did so. After establishing contact with the approach controller, the air traffic controller cleared the flight down to 5,000 feet. 5.25 5:25 p.m. and 17 seconds, the air traffic controller cleared the flight further to descend to 950 meters. Good old metric. All of a sudden,
3: there's a lot of metric. I hate it. Don't come. For it
1: me. switches back and forth, and it's a little bit infuriating.
0: Why? Good Don't question. ask me.
1: Question. I think some of it is just what they did in the report for some reason. Anyways, and they were subsequently vectored for the ILS or instrument landing system to runway 11 or 11. p.m. and 46 seconds, the flight crew reported to the air traffic controller that they were stabilized on the approach. The air traffic controller told the flight that they were number one on the approach and instructed them to contact the tower at Warsaw. They established initial contact with the tower controller. The tower controller then instructed, quote, Lufthansa 2904, continue ILS approach, call me outer marker, Wind 160 degrees, 25 kilometers per hour. And before your landing, it was reported wind shear on the final runway 11.
0: Oh, that's not a good sign. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, backing up through all of that, they were instructed to call when they reached the outer marker on the approach. So there's the outer, middle, inner marker. Those go in subsequent order as you go down the line. I never saw
3: anything about the inner marker.
1: Nobody ever said anything about the outer or the inner marker. Just the middle marker. Yep. That's weird. Yep. They were given the winds. And they were given a report of wind shear. I'm not going to discuss too much more on that right this second.
2: <laughs> <coughs>
1: not foreshadowing. <laughs> the flight crew responded, quote, Roger, that's understood. I'll call you outer marker, end quote. At that time, the aircraft was at 2,800 feet and 163 knots indicated. 5.31 p.m. and 26 seconds, another aircraft called Jet Aviation Flight 101 called the air traffic controller, quote, Warsaw Tower, good evening. Jet Aviation 101 is vacating runway 11 on taxiway Echo Zero. For information, we had severe wind shear on final.
0: Okay, so clearly there's, like, not a good sign on the wind shear thing. <laughs> Correct. So,
1: wind shear is not fun.
0: Please remind me what wind shear
2: is.
1: Wind shear is a sudden, very sharp gust of wind. It's a uh,
2: sudden change in wind,
3: period. Wind direction,
1: okay. wind speed, and it comes... That is very dangerous when you're at a critical phase of flight where <laughs> Heck yeah. where... You don't have much speed to play with, mm-hmm. so okay. wind shear is a very dangerous thing. Yeah. Low-level wind shear in particular is extremely dangerous.
0: You can see planes like go like this, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, stuff on their way in. They wiggle
1: around, <laughs> and they suddenly drop, and they suddenly lift, and there's all sorts of things. They not scare a
2: fun, me. Not uh, a fun. Understandably.
1: Low-level wind shear is still one of the number one plagues in aviation that are not necessarily unavoidable, but are very difficult to get out of. And I mean, very good pilots have difficulty getting out of these. I mean, there's not much you can do, especially if you experience it, you know, on final approach. A lot of airplanes have wind shear detection and they will try to warn you seconds before so you have a chance to get out of the situation. But it is still a difficult thing to this day.
3: And airports have low-level wind shear alert systems, which is abbreviated LLWAS, which I feel like takes a lot longer to say than low-level wind shear alert systems. Yeah. Anyway, and so those are sensors spread out all over the airport, so it can detect wind shear at this spot, even though you only have, like, a weather station over here. Right. Okay. So. That makes sense. There's a lot of them at DIA because we have 53 square miles to cover. Yes. And our winds can be on
0: predictable
1: and crazy from one mile to the next and we have a lot of area
2: especially out where the airport is like out on the plains the wind is bananas if you want to see
3: a map of the low level wind shear alert system at dia there is a picture of it on the blog post for flight 1404 continental Continental flight 1404 on On the the website. website
0: also if you want to learn more about wind cheer we have an entire weather series where we covered wind cheer we do when did we do that I want Long to say time it was ago episode now. 66 67 68 and 69 that's what I want to say but oh, I don't, think you actually might be right don't take me at, hold on hold on don't take me at my work I'm oh, sorry hold uh, on We would have had a oh you
3: are not correct no <laughs> <It was laughs> really? 38 nice try, though. 38 39 oh. 40 and 41. I
0: was thinking of ea 66. Yeah. Which is the first one in
3: the uh. huh So there you go. That that's our micro burst series. Yes. Oh yes. Micro burst produces low level wind shear. <gasps> Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Fun times. Thank you for asking very pertinent questions of things we haven't addressed in a while. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. Oh,
2: yeah, I can be helpful that way. Like I've listened to this obsessively. That's Do I remember point. this thing? No. Let's refresh. Do that's we? <laughs> the whole point,
0: right? No. That
1: is the whole point. That's what. We, no. That's why you are here.
3: Turns out I don't remember the contents of all 180
1: episodes. <laughs> oh, nope.
0: This is 180. Right. Yes, yep. happy, happy 180. Happy
1: 180.
0: Let's turn around and go back. I've
1: had, <laughs> I've, no, we, we won't. I've had some thoughts about episode 200. Speaking of, and I will. Keep them to myself.
2: I'm a. We can't. I'm bring the you post- guys. You like, and I we'll might know. be
1: able to discuss this. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I will keep. this It's to gonna myself. be a celebration. It might be a change of. I uh, missed
2: 150 because I started like the episode before 150, so I didn't have my yeah, shit together yeah. enough to that's celebrate fair. y'all. But okay. 200.
1: Yes, that's okay. I, yes, I have some thoughts and we might, there might be a small change to the schedule in order to make 200 something of its own.
2: We
3: are so. not redoing ua two thirty. No, we're not. No, we're not. Nope. That's what, and that's why we drink did for their 200 oh, yeah, episode no. is they redid the first episode. No, heck no. No, thank you. I don't, I, no.
2: Nope. We can just leave that one where it is for now. Yeah. I was pretty proud of it, honestly. It's seriously, it a really great first
0: episode. It was pretty good. We were talking about how I can't listen to it, though, because I'm going to cringe real bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <Agreed>. real bad. <laughs> but that's okay. But then you can, like,
2: admire the growth that the podcast has had in the last three three years? Three years. Yes. Three
0: it's and true. Oh, Almost three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah, push. three and, yeah. and a
1: half years. Isn't that crazy?
0: Yes. Anyway. Sorry. Sorry.
1: Anyways. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> 5.32 p.m. and 12 seconds. The air traffic controller called the Lufthansa flight, quote, Lufthansa 2904... You are cleared to land runway 11, wind 160 degrees 25 5 kilometers per hour, end quote. And the flight crew acknowledged. 5.33 p.m. and 20 seconds, the flight passed the middle marker at 278 feet at 147 knots and continued the approach and was in the landing configuration at the time and in manual control of thrust and control surfaces, as is normal. The flight passed 50 feet at 158 knots. knots. Yes, sorry, 158.8. I didn't feel it was necessary because we don't measure in
0: decimals in (laughs) aviation.
1: So, yeah, that's a thing. But
0: Christy measures in decimals. I know. And we
2: are here for accuracy. Yes, of course.
3: (laughs) I'm not later. I round out all of the, because they they give stuff in like meters per second. Oh, God.
2: I'm not. I'm not doing
3: that.
1: (laughs) All right. The flight touched down on a wet runway one one just moments later in heavy rain. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-huh. As the aircraft slowed, the flight crew were suddenly faced with the end of the pavement mm. at the opposite end of the runway.
2: Wait, that happened really fast? Yeah, yes. wait, what?
0: <laughs> Hold up. Correct. You are not right. Why'd they touch down so far down the runway? We'll get to all that. Did they not see the threshold?
1: We'll talk about it all later. It's
0: raining? It's windy? Maybe.
1: Seeing this rapidly approaching, the flight crew deviated the airplane to the right slightly as they could, as much as they could, anyways. Oh. The aircraft departed the end of the runway at 72 knots, proceeding proceeding another 90 meters, where the left wing then collided with an embankment and launched over it, striking and destroying an antenna. The aircraft finally came to rest just on the other side of the embankment, sans a left wing. The aircraft finally came to rest with the landing gear and left engine having been sheared and destroyed in the impact. A fire started from the left wing, but with it having been sheared? and quickly spread to the fuselage. Hmm. An evacuation was started immediately by the four cabin crew. Passengers rushed out of the airplane where possible, but flames quickly started entering the passenger cabin. Two of those cabin crew were also quite injured, by the way. Airport emergency services responded within three minutes and began trying to douse the flames. In all, one crew member, which was the Czech captain, the right seat captain, and one passenger who was consumed by the flames after becoming unconscious from smoke inhalation, perished in the accident.
2: That face. Yes. Yes, that face. <gasps>
1: Nobody managed to help him get out. Two crew and 49 passengers were seriously injured in the accident, which is the majority of everybody. One crew and four passengers were minorly injured. And two crew and 10 passengers were not injured at all. And that's all I got.
3: This investigation was performed by the Main Commission Aircraft Accident Investigation of Warsaw. Okay, then.
1: That's a okay. thing.
3: They actually have an accident investigation body now. I don't remember what it's called. We talked about it in episode two. Yeah,
0: the lot foam landing.
1: Yes, the foam landing, the lot 767 that Belly landed. That was a very early episode of ours. That
0: was also at this airport. Yes, it was. Oh, no way.
1: Yep, yeah. more so. Which, uh, by the way, I was going to state, this was the fourth accident of the A320 in its history. This was very early in the A320's life span, but it still managed to be the fourth. <laughs> The one that we were supposed to do this week was the third. So,
3: (laughs) The name of this airport is not the same as it is currently. It is currently called the Warsaw Chopin Airport, named after the composer Chopin.
1: Chopin. Um, Chopin. Sorry. (coughs) I had to do it. That hurts. Yes.
3: I am not going to try to pronounce the Polish name for this airport prior to it being named Chopin because it has a letter I've never seen before. Because, fun fact, Polish
0: is a lot more like Russian than it is like Latin.
2: Yep.
3: Yes. It's scary. You know the C that's in French a lot with the curly thing on the bottom? The
1: sedile. Say sedile.
3: That. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine an E with the little curly thing. I don't know. (laughs) The disgusted look you just gave me. I never knew what it was. I don't know how to pronounce it. So, I'm not going to try and butcher a language. Both black boxes, as well as the quick access recorder or QAR, were retrieved from the wreckage. The contents of the FDR and QAR were retrieved at the something in French.
1: Centre de cire en vol.
3: Sure. In Bretagne, France. Yes. <sighs> in that sure. place in France. Cool. The CVR was read out by the BEA in Paris. Makes sense. Also in France. Makes sense. Because Airbus. Airbus. In France. In France. <laughs> <laughs> we speak complete sentences. So it was a runway excursion, which means the runway itself comes into question. And in order to address the quality of the runway at the time of the accident, we have to discuss the weather, specifically precipitation. The landing was carried out while a cold front was passing over the airport or aerodrome, if you're feeling fancy. And the front itself contained a cumulonimbus cloud with heavy showers. The shower began at 5.28 p.m., initially lightly, but between 5.33 and 5.41, it was quote-unquote the heavy one. This was a translated report? Yes, it was. Before tapering off and eventually stopping altogether at 5.53. They touched down, like, right at 5.34. Yep. Okay. Which is right during the heavy precipitation period. No, no. The weather station had measured two millimeters of water, but the accompanying strong wind was determined to have decreased the amount measured and that the real precipitation for runway 11 could have been more like three to four millimeters?
1: Mm-hmm. Love that. Within
3: minutes, I don't. <laughs> Within minutes. Oh my god! Yeah, love that. I don't. This I don't. precipitation period was over and done in half an hour.
2: Yeah, don't like that. It's fast.
3: So that sounds like runway contamination, if
0: I've ever heard it. Yeah. Yes. What well, did they have a grooved runway? Yes, sort of. The does sort of mean.
3: They don't talk about it. In the findings, <sighs> they mention that it's like the. It was so uneven in spots on the runway that they couldn't really measure the precipitation. Plus, it's also hard to measure precipitation when it came and went so fast in an accident. And yeah. Yep. Math. Math. Speaking of weather and math, let's discuss the winds a little bit. The weather station recorded a change in wind direction from 160 to 270 over the course of 18 minutes. And the maximum wind came in after the landing at 540 with gusts up to 16 meters per second. Oof, which is boy. 31 knots, in case you were wondering. Yes. The weather station interpreted wind at the time of landing was from 220 degrees at 10 meters per second, or 19 knots, and gusting to 15 meters per second,
0: or 29 knots. You may have
1: noticed this is not the ones they were told.
0: Yeah, I was going to say something. Like, uh, hey, they didn't know that. Well, They why... did get a wind shear warning, though. Yes. But why are
3: those numbers in particular a big deal? They were landing on runway 11. So wind
0: coming from 220... Would create a tailwind component. Oh. Oh, pushing them down the runway. On a (gasps) wet runway. Oh, that's what happened. That's Um, not all of it. No, clearly not. Because they were still way, way far down the runway when they touched down.
3: And the FDR recorded that... The aircraft recorded a 25 knot tailwind while they were at 2100 feet, hmm. and it was down to an 18 knot tailwind at touchdown. But that's still a lot for landing. Still yes. not great.
1: And that's not good at all.
3: Actually, the A320 is published as at maximum having a 10 knot tailwind. Some of them maybe 15. You have to check your manual.
1: But that's still this is exceeding all of that. Yeah. And also, that's pretty normal for most airliners is like 10, 15 knots most.
3: And this is 18. That was recorded at touchdown.
1: Oh, <laughs> not good.
3: So, factor number one. Well, factor number two, because what runway was factor number one? Although it was not included in the analysis of the crash itself, the investigators did provide information in Section 1 of the report regarding the dissemination of weather information in this circumstance. A METAR is a format of reporting weather information and it's done in a kind of code that contains temperature, dew point, wind speed and direction, precipitation, cloud cover and heights, visibility and barometric pressure. It also may contain special information such as pilot reports or PIREPs, smoke, lightning and other such relevant information. You can Google a METAR decoder if you're interested in learning how it's written. And the current METAR for each airport is available online or in ForeFlight or in the FlightRadar24 app if you just tap on the airport in question. For example, right now the METAR at DIA reads...
1: Kden 27053 Zulu 09006 KT 10SM. I'll decode all this in a minute, just so you know, because this is just, I'm just giving you an idea of how broken up these are. FU 085 BKN 110 BKN 200 slash M11 A2992 RMK A02 SLP 152 Virga t 1111106 <laughs> Now, to decode that, because <laughs> this is how broken up METARs are, I can decode most of this for you. Some of it is not even necessarily to be decoded. But what it's saying is Denver International Airport, time 270053 Zulu, so that's, I don't even know.
0: Whatever the time is.
1: 0053 Zulu on the 27th. Winds 090 at 6 knots. 10 statute miles of visibility. Few clouds at 8,500 feet. Broken at eleven thousand. Broken at twenty thousand. Altimeter two nine or nine or two, which is actually uh,
3: before that is temperature one degree Celsius. dew point yes. negative Point negative eleven degrees
1: Celsius. Yes. Dew point negative eleven. Yep. You're right. Altimeter two nine nine two, which is actually nominal, and that is phenomenal because that never happens here. Nominal. That's usually what you would see at sea level on a perfect day. Interesting. And then remarks after that, which have usually to do with only certain weather changes or effects at the time
3: are you able to read any of those after that
1: those ones no
3: automated station with precipitation discriminator sea level pressure pressure is one zero one five point two hectopascals yep hectopascals rain is evaporating before reaching the ground and then it just gives. which is what virga is yeah and then temperature and dew point it just gives it with decimals so that's what a metar is
1: it's this ugly ugly thing that we still, to this day, produce for pilots. <laughs> it seems to me really silly. And antiquated. When it is very easy to decode this and also just write out all of this. Like, there's not necessary anymore to be doing these condensed forms for METAR, but we still do them as a standard around the world.
3: Oh, and it says the METAR came out at 6.53. Yes. So, a little less than an hour ago.
1: Yep, 58 minutes ago.
3: The METARs at the Warsaw Airport at the time in history were generated every 30 minutes based on current weather information. Nowadays, METARs come out about every 15 minutes normally.
1: They can, depending on the airport.
3: And depending on how rapidly weather conditions
1: change. It really matters about that. Most of the time, they'll keep it to an hour. If it's just going to be pretty nominal, one hour to the next. They know that. Half an hour, same thing. 15 minutes is pretty normal for significant weather changes, things like that. But an hour's I would say normal.
3: And the last METAR came out just three minutes before touchdown at 5.30, reading winds from 150 at 6 meters per second with the beginnings of cumulonimbus clouds, and the next one at 6 o'clock read winds from 2.70 at 10 meters per second with cumulonimbus clouds and low clouds scattered at 240 meters. This shower had already stopped at that point, Mm -hmm. within that half hour between METARs, and the information was not available to provide to the crew in their ATIS on approach. Furthermore, each of those two METARs ended with the phrase no-sig, meaning no significant changes were anticipated for the next two hours, which was clearly not true.
1: Not when you're having wind shear.
3: The Meteorological Office on airport premises transmitted changes in weather conditions to air traffic control for the purposes of the ATIS, and they did so more rapidly for changing weather conditions. They transmitted reports of cumulonimbus clouds at 459, winds from 150 at 22 kilometers per hour. (sighs)
1: Yeah, because that's what they decided to do.
3: At 522, 160 at 25 kilometers per hour at 528, from 170 at 32 kilometers per hour at 532, and winds from 210 at 36 kilometers per hour at 537. Their precipitation announcements contained a light shower at 528 and heavy showers at 535 after the crash had already happened. Basically, the weather changed so fast right at the time of the accident that ATC had no opportunity to warn the crew. They didn't have the resources. You might recall speaking of that continental flight they had a little ribbon in front of them was that was reading winds they didn't have that Nope. they didn't have live streamed information of winds and precipitation on airport grounds they were relying on metars and reports from the weather station instead of constant information <clears throat> the rapidly changing wind direction coupled with gusting conditions supports the pyreps of wind shear on final but that still doesn't explain the overrun The crew was experienced enough to know how to compensate for some rough weather on landing, and they compensated by increasing their approach speed by about 30 knots to 158.8 knots, recorded at 50 feet above ground, versus the calculated approach speed in normal conditions of 130 knots. Though the standard operating procedure for the airline only recommends increasing speed by 20 knots, they had the right idea. Like, go a little faster because you might lose speed at any second. Yep.
2: Except they had a tailwind. Yeah, that's what I I was thinking about. I'll get... Give me a second.
3: The investigators listed some other factors regarding the approach but did not go into full depth on them but we can discuss them. One, the crew switched off their weather radar. Why?
1: Yep, just when moments I, before. When I landing. say they
0: didn't discuss it, I don't know. <laughs> They just turned it off. It seems off. like you're Moments in before. weather. Why are you turning it off? Yep. The crew did
3: not turn to account the wind display on the EFIS, the display, and they did not consider the discrepancy between these data and the information on the wind given by ATC. And neither did they take into account the tailwind component displayed on the EFIS that exceeds the value acceptable for the aircraft. So they didn't notice they had a tailwind
2: of like... How many knots was Eighteen. Eighteen. Like, that seems like something. You're moving like noticeable. crazy
1: over the ground. True. Like, way faster than you should be.
2: The crew did not
3: analyze whether the increased approach speed to runway one one would provide enough distance to enable them to suppress the increased kinetic energy of the aircraft. Basically, they, Could they, they were stop in time with the, with the amount of runway they had with the increased approach speed right. for weather. They didn't talk about it. Nope. The crew used full flaps configuration, which on this aircraft disabled the braking system until recorded touchdown. I don't like how they worded this. This is normal. Mm -hmm. When you are using full flaps configuration, the airplane's like, hey, you're landing. I'm not going to activate brakes till you land.
1: Right. This is very normal, actually. But there are some caveats to that. We'll talk about that later on.
3: So let's talk about the flare and the touchdown. Because of the wind shear, not only did the crew increase their airspeed, they also had an increased thrust, so they passed over the threshold while above the ILS glide path. Not entirely surprising, but not great. Nope. After this, the throttles moved to idle at an altitude of six feet, and this delay extended their flare phase. Because of the crosswind, they initially touched down with a right bank of 3.21 degrees, and only the right main landing gear touched down, and this happened 770 meters down the 2,800 meter runway, or 2,500 feet down the 9,200 foot runway. Isn't that great? That's a chunk. It's like almost a third. The right main landing gear bounced, and the double touch gave the crew the false impression that both gear had touched down. This was, in fact, incorrect. The left main landing gear took another nine seconds to make contact with the runway when they had a speed of 136 knots, still higher than the landing reference speed of 130 knots.
1: And that is a long time. Nine seconds is a very long time when to the going point on the runway.
3: To the point that they were 1525 meters past the threshold of the 2800 meter runway, leaving less than half the runway left to decelerate and vacate the runway.
2: Do tires, like, does that, does the landing gear help slow down? Like, There's It makes contact. There's let's,
1: residual friction.
2: Okay, that's what I was but thinking. But it's also wet. So let's talk
3: about it. Right. <laughs> so we have 1,275 meters to go. That means that in that nine seconds between the two main landing gear touching down separately, they ate up 755 meters of runway. Oh, my God.
1: To give you an idea of how not much time they have left.
2: and how
3: Not a lot. Going. So, how is this possible? Shouldn't they have been slowing down somehow during that time? There are three primary deceleration systems on the A320. Can I, can I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess? Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Thrust reversers? Mm-hmm. Brakes? Yep. What's the last one? Spoilers.
3: Spoilers? So, I'm going to read them in my order because I have notes, but you are correct. Okay. Those are the three. So, spoilers are metal surfaces that pop up on the wing and act like dragnets. Mm-hmm. Thrust reversers. This is where the back part of the engine cover slides backwards, allowing most of the air being expelled from the back of the engine to instead go out the sides, creating a perpendicular wall of air to create drag. Lastly are the wheel brakes. Think of a car. There you go. Brakes. Brakes. brakes.
1: They're like- a little more complex on an airplane. They take a, they do a lot more calculating. But
3: the theory is the same. Okay? But the
1: theory is the same.
3: So why is it so significant that the left main landing gear took so long to touch down? The deployment of all three braking systems is dependent on the compression of both struts on the main landing gear. No. Yep. Both main landing gear have to touch before any of those braking systems activate. Because that condition was not fulfilled, none of the braking systems were in effect for those nine seconds, leading to the consumption of 755 meters of runway. Yeah. But one of those systems was delayed a further four seconds.
0: Why? Can I I guess which one? Can I guess which one? Those traversers? No. What was it? Spoilers? No. Brakes? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess they just, I mean, that kind of makes sense. So the wheel brakes will
3: only activate once the sensors within the system detect a circumferential speed of 72 knots, which theoretically would happen pretty immediately after a gear touches down, yeah? Remember that runway contamination we talked about? It's wet. The amount of water on the runway led to hydroplaning, or aquaplaning as they called it, Mm -hmm. meaning that the aircraft was sliding (laughs) on its wheels rather than rolling. It took the aircraft four seconds to break through the water barrier on the runway surface so that the wheels could begin rolling instead of sliding, and this delayed the activation of the wheel brakes accordingly.
1: Part of that had to do with the status of the tires. I don't know if you had that, but...
3: They didn't talk about it. They
1: found that... Well, they found that some of the tires were pretty worn out. They're bald! They're bald! They were pretty close to their wear marks, so they were not doing great when they got to water. (laughs) They were just sliding right along.
3: Investigators calculated that with a tailwind of 10 knots on a wet runway, the aircraft could have landed and slowed within 1,964 meters, well within the parameters of the runway. But yep. the compounding errors and delays from flare to rollout all increased the landing distance of the accident flight. So, as usual, it was more than just one thing. Yep. It was the coming in hot. It was the wet runway. It was the one landing gear touching first. It, it surprised me. The tailwind. Me because they're on a check flight yeah like which by the way i'm gonna assume he didn't pass his check since his check pilot um died died. yeah
1: gonna assume that's pretty good
0: assumption but also (laughs) it's just surprising to me because they had two captains on board that the Mm -hmm. crm was so with a lot of hours and they like turned off they shouldn't have turned off and like there was no conversation it was just like i'm gonna do this thing and the check pilot was like okay chill like I- <laughs> they didn't
3: talk about it anyway they didn't talk about crm at all
2: when did we start crm again like it's 1977
0: as that was okay that so was that, when that, that was what when happened it
1: 1981 yeah was when they started really implementing it 19... i think
0: it was australia first
1: yes 1989 became icao standard
2: so if i remember again, correctly as old as you knew yeah, uh, still in terms relatively the, new. In terms yes, of the crash. So yeah, yeah, maybe that's why is that like people are still adjusting to. Yes, mm.
0: but my point is though is if you have a Czech captain on board, you would assume because he's a Czech captain that he would be making better decisions. Mm been clearly what they You making. might also recall, though, that being an experienced captain doesn't
1: well, and see, save
3: you from stupid decisions. You, yes.
1: You've also made a big mistake when you make that statement because you used the word assume, and that is a mistake. <laughs> That's, that is yes. 100% a mistake in aviation. It's
0: just one of those things where you're like, you're a training person. I would assume you could, like I said, assume. Yes, I get it. But yes. making good decisions for the airplane and like he was monitoring and he didn't notice the the wind the tailwind mm-hmm. and i
2: feel mm-hmm. like this is
0: not the first
2: time we've had a teaching person not making the best decision you're correct yeah
0: <laughs> you're i
3: cor- couldn't tell you what episode no
0: i couldn't tell you either but it's familiar mm-hmm. brownie points to the person who can tell us the episodes have that in it i too. feel like it was a small
2: bird
1: Oh, there's probably been multiple of these.
2: Oh, probably. Sometimes
0: it's not always the small bird. We will be discussing (laughs) small birds
3: next episode. Literal small birds. So that's all I got of
0: layers. All right. Well, let's take a break. And And we'll come back. Be back.
2: We're, Hi, back. we're back. <laughs>
1: yes, we're back. Let's do the thing now. So, yes, I have the normals.
3: I would like to launch a not so formal protest against this report. I agree. My reasoning is someone published it, like just typing it out based on the original. They didn't scan the original. Nope. Therefore, there are no images. And it kills me because they're like, please look at this image.
0: It
2: doesn't exist.
0: Right. It doesn't exist. Right. That's and it's, great.
3: it's not it even exists.
1: a PDF or anything. It's literally just a web page of words. That's it. Like- and
3: then to make matters worse, they're like, please reference the appendices for, these, for this information. And whoever published the report only published certain appendices. So I wish I could read you the metars around the time of the accident.
1: Did not include them.
3: That was not one of the appendices that was included. Great. Right. right. So sorry. I, I wish I had those for you. I really would have loved them, along with all the graphs they claim to have.
1: Good times. All right, let's do some findings. I will apologize in advance for the way they worded these things. Again, we're talking about a translated report. But I do find that some of these are pretty pertinent. They found that at the moment of the aircraft landing, the front accompanied by heavy rain and wind shear was passing the airfield. Two aircraft that landed earlier than DLH 2904. Reported to air traffic services the wind shear at the final approach to runway 11. The landing of DLH 2904 was being carried out in full visibility of the aerodrome. All of that to say they had full visibility of the airport. Was visibility plenty. was
3: not the issue. Visibility
1: was not the issue, but the wind shear certainly was. Now, here's one of the things that bothered me a little bit. The air traffic controller did tell them about the wind shear. It was also, I mean, yes, other aircraft reported it. I think air traffic control were working under the assumption that the aircraft could hear the other two airplanes.
0: Okay. But again but there's that word the, the assumption. assumption. Right.
1: So the air traffic uh. con- the air traffic controller had already warned them about the wind shear. So technically, they had already done their job. That's the only reason that they can't really put fault on the air traffic controller. But after the airplane right ahead of them had reported it again, it would have been a good thing for the air traffic controller to reiterate to the next landing airplane who is landing in just a few moments that, hey, the aircraft before you just encountered severe wind shear for your information. Yeah, you might want to make your own decisions. Prepare. And they did not (laughs) do that. So that's just one thing that bothered me a little bit. Most air traffic controllers would reiterate because in aviation, one assumption you can make is that pilots don't hear the other pilots on the radio. They can most of the time, but not always. There's actually a lot of times where they don't. So you should be working under the assumptions that the pilot of the next airplane landing did not hear the pilot ahead of them.
3: There's a psychological phenomenon called the cocktail effect. Mm-hmm. And in a cocktail party, you don't hear every single conversation, but you will hear any conversation where That you- has your name. Yep. Right. Uh, yes. So um, Pilots
1: very much work like that.
3: Yeah. You're not going to listen to what's being said on the radio until someone says Lufthansa 2904.
2: Right. Well, you can't really, because there's so many other things you have to pay attention to. Exactly. If you're paying attention to every bit of radio traffic, you're going to go nuts. That's fun
0: fact. That's ATC's job, not yours. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what their job is. And
1: to put more context to this, what air traffic controllers usually do (laughs) in situations like this, they will get information from that airplane that just landed. They will ask and say... Okay, you you encountered wind shear. Can you elaborate on the wind shear? That pilot will then usually report back. Oh, we experienced a ten knot loss of wind. You know, one mile and two hundred feet above. You know, while on final, they can then pass that on as a pilot report. They or will literally a they will literally post a PI rep, which is visible to pilots, and they will pass that on verbally to any landing aircraft over the next thirty forty five minutes, usually. That full information, they'll say, just so you know, such and such aircraft type aircraft reported loss of 12 knots at 200 feet and one mile, something like that, you know?
3: And you may have caught that I noted when talking about the METAR. METARs do contain PIREPs as well. Yep. So it's not just a matter of, it's not so informal as it sounds of, hey, we experienced such and such on landing. Like, that's a formal report. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's verbal, but it is a
1: formal thing. Yep. They found that the meteorological information, ATIS, for the... Yep. Airport. <laughs> <laughs> they put the name in there. Warpsaw. The Warsaw Airport broadcasted in the period which preceded landing of DLH-2904 aircraft, as well as that broadcasted in the post-crash time, were giving wind information based on averaged values, comprised the no-sig code. It meant that no significant changes of weather were anticipated for the next two hours. The same information was transmitted to the ATIS monitors. So again, the ATIS really didn't give good information because... It was not accurate. Because one, it was using averages of wind, which Which is never a good thing.
3: We discussed in Continental Flight 1404, you should not do that when discussing winds because gusts are pertinent.
1: And averages never help. They are never help. They do not give you any good information. They also talk about the fact that they put out the no significant change expected in weather over both ATIS before and after the crash. And that is lies, Lies! Lies! <laughs> lies! So many lies! Which here, <laughs> there was a front. There's a literal weather front, which is like the definition of a significant weather change. So they found that the aircraft automatics comprises for basic landing configuration. If the aircraft, i.e. the flaps extended to full position, the program, which subject Actuation of all braking devices in some specific conditions. Ground spoilers, when selected, will extend provided that either shock absorbers are compressed at both main landing gear, the minimum load to compress one shock absorber being 6,300 kilograms, or wheel speed are above 72 knots at both main landing gears.
3: So basically, they can't, like, the landing gear can't just, like, touch. Right, it has it needs to pressure. be down. Okay. Right,
1: the whole thing needs to be all the way down. They continue, engine reversers, when selected, will deploy provided that shock absorbers are compressed at both main landing gear. Such a logic's result, that's what they wrote, such a logic's result in the lack of possibility of immediate actuation of both mentioned above aircraft's braking devices without meeting the conditions described. Don't you just love these reports?
3: Okay, here's my issue with them saying that's an issue. Yes. If you are touching down one gear at a time, correct, like this, you should have done a go around. You don't want to do a go around when the thrust reversers activate. So, correct. I think this logic, this built in computer logic, is fair because you still want to provide the opportunity and for a go around.
1: Hit the nail on the head with that. That's why Airbus designed it the way they did. And that's why 72 knots seems really specific because it is. And they don't want it to do when just one touches down for a whole other reason, and that is asymmetric. Anything you do in asymmetry at a high rate of speed is going to be very dramatic. So if it decided that it was suddenly going to apply wheel brakes. Oh, God. Only one side is currently touching the runway. You have zero control over that. So
3: bad. But you also don't want like spoilers to deploy with just one main landing gear because then the
1: it okay. is downforce. They yeah. provide downforce. For those of you that are in racing and put spoilers on the back end of your car, it is exactly the same thing. It provides downforce onto the main landing gear so that it can create friction and drag. It does everything. It And it's the same concept. I mean, if that thing deployed, you would slam that airplane into the runway. And that's never a good thing either. So.
3: So I, I am in support of the logic. Agreed. They should have gone around. Yes. Yes. Granted, they didn't know they only had just one wheel on the ground because right. it bounced, so it felt like they had both. Right. There's no way they could have known unless they were, I don't know, looking right. at their displays. I will <laughs> say,
1: so, the, one of the things that has fixed that are the added callouts that pretty much every airline in the world has adopted at this point, and that is, once you have touched down, the first callout that is supposed to happen is, spoilers up, thrust reverse normal, or reversers normal. So, that is to say... You can visibly see that on the displays because all aircraft these days have a digital display for this. The A320 even had it at the time.
3: Which using the logic would then mean that both main landing gear are down.
1: And they do that call out on all aircraft and all airlines pretty much everywhere in the world because they want to prove to themselves, they need that proof that the airplane is now in deceleration mode. They could have seen this on the display, the EFIS, as a matter of fact. The fact that they had not yet had the spoilers deployed, and the reversers had not yet deployed.
3: For nine seconds.
1: Right. So that was a thing. They found that in emergency, the crew is unable to override the lockout and to operate ground spoilers and engine thrust reversers. And that is correct. They shouldn't be able to.
3: I don't want you to be able to. Right. For all the reasons we just discussed. There's
1: a reason there is a logic. Called a logic. (laughs) They found that the depth of grooves on tire tread at three wheels of the main undercarriage was considerably decreased. At very high touchdown speed, it could facilitate progressive building of conditions conducive to slippage. <laughs> hydroplaning. They uh, were hydroplaning. I'm
3: sorry. aquaplaning.
1: Yes, they were aquaplaning. At the aerodrome. <laughs> <laughs>
3: sorry.
0: They were hydroplaning
1: at the airport. <laughs> yes. Not aquaplaning the at the water, aerodrome. The Be water more European, was slippery. Please. Yes, they were doing slippy things. The next two are unfortunately long to read. I'm going to do my best because again the English in this is just so much fun. They found that Lufthansa flight crew manual on pages 6.60/5 slash and 6.60/6 gives the procedures for the case of wind shear. According to this manual, quote, if the disposed landing distance allows, the speed may be increased maximum by 20 knots. This increased speed should be maintained until flare out, End quote. However, the flight crew operating manual for the A320 and 321, issued by Airbus Industry, in section 3.04.91 on page 3, allows to increase the approach speed by 15 knots. And,
3: and they had increased it by 30.
1: Right. <laughs> and besides an Airbus industry comments on final report relating to A320 Delta Alpha India Papa November, accident at Warsaw September 14th, 1993 on the page 6 warning is expressed against maintaining the excessive speed by touchdown.
3: So you can you can take that up until you touch down, then slow it down. Right.
1: Basically, on the flare, you should be losing speed. Which is the whole idea of a flare, anyways. You should be cushioning and losing speed and letting the airplane set itself on the runway. You should not be forcing it onto the runway. Keeping the airplane flying all the way until it isn't. That's the idea. They found that it is to be noted that Operator's Flight Crew Manual contains on the page 6.60-6 the notice that the excessive touchdown speed may extend the rollout distance by about 25%, which is a lot. (laughs) But in performance information of the manual on the tables of required landing distances, there is no notice on the methods to be used to determine the real landing and rollout distance when landing with the increased speed, according to the manual, even by 20 knots in case of wind shear. On the other hand, the... Aircraft Operating Manual specifies how to calculate corrections to these distances in regard to much less important factors as e.g. difference in pressure altitude, aircraft icing, or automatic landing. Okay, great. So basically they're saying that the airplane's operating manual does not give any specifics on calculating distance for added speed, which is which just they just not
3: It doesn't sound like they tried to calculate anyway and should have, but I right. may be reading too far into the brevity of the way they mentioned this right
1: they found that the crew did not notice on the weather radar in the course of approach the atmospheric front between their position and the aerodrome the airport and achieved a visual contact with the aerodrome they switched the radar off the front had been noticed on their weather radar screen by the crew of jet aviation having landed just before dlh 2904 so they didn't know about it but the aircraft ahead of them did they found that the crew decided to land without use of automatic wheel braking systems, so they didn't use any autobrake, as most people would know this, which, mm, questionable decision, but also wouldn't have been useful until both landing gear were on the runway, and even then there wouldn't have been enough braking to matter.
3: And they were aquaplaning. Right.
1: That. That, that thing.
3: I'm European now. Yes.
1: I, <laughs> I guess. Aquaplaning at the aerodrome because it was slippy.
3: One day I will be European, so... <laughs>
1: They found that there was no reaction of the flight crew to the tailwind demonstrated by one, clearly visible difference between airspeed and ground speed in the course of approach, which, yes, both are visible to them. And two, wind vector on EFIS during final approach, although the change of direction and velocity of wind was commented upon in the crew's conversation. So they had talked about it a bit about the wind, but they hadn't really talked about the significance of the wind on their display, literally how different their airspeed and ground speed were, which I could have put in there because they were in the history flight, but I did not. Because I was, told you not to. Right. It was significant. It was a lot. They found that the pilot at the controls, the pilot flying, so the pilot in the left seat, decided to land... With approval of the pilot in command, because by the way, the check pilot is the pilot in command on this flight. Yep. Not being warned by him, according to suggestions of the airplane operating manually, A320, of tailwind component considerably exceeding operational limit of 10 knots. So basically- Because the
3: pilot monitoring should have seen that.
1: Right. He should have seen that. He should have noted it. He should have said something to the pilot who was flying and didn't. And neither one of them really paid attention to it. So that's where the CRM really broke down, if you ask me.
3: In my defense, it was not in the analysis
1: found that landing was continued in spite of excessive tailwind component, excessive ground speed, and the touchdown point moved considerably ahead. In other words, they just kept floating. Towards the end of the runway.
3: 770 meters.
1: Yep, I love this phrase. Well, abandonment of landing and go around was justified and still feasible. So in other words, they could have gone around (laughs) while they still had one wheel on the runway.
3: (laughs) And should have.
1: And should have. They really should have. But they didn't because they weren't paying attention. They just lost sight of all these things. CRM really broke down at the most critical point. They found that the steering technique applied in the course of the aircraft landing in the touchdown phase utilized the lateral bank as a countermeasure to balance lateral wind component. It resulted in touchdown on one main undercarriage leg only and in false impression on the part of the crew that touchdown was efficient. In reality, the immediate start of operation of braking device was not possible. All of that to say, they were using the bank of the aircraft to counter the crosswind that they had. They were crabbing. They were crabbing. And that bank meant that they were not touching the left main landing gear down. That was a whole thing. They found that in light of recommendations of the airplane operating manual, the cooperation between pilots was incorrect, probably as a result of non-typical crew composition. Yeah. possible. The pilot performing the check has allowed too wide margin of independence to the checked pilot. So in other words, the pilot who is overseeing the flight, the pilot in command, the one who's doing the checking, has way too much control in the CRM of that cockpit per the operating manual.
0: Yeah. Despite the fact that he's not the one flying the airplane. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. Specifically, they're talking about the airline's operating manual, Volume 2, page 5.24-18. Specifically gives that Czech pilot so much control over that cockpit. They found that as a result of the pertaining precipitation, the runway was covered with uneven layer of water of the thickness difficult to define. I love that just how horrible that English was in that sentence.
0: All of that water to say. Thickness. The th- thickness of the water.
1: All of that to say. Depth. Yes. The runway was contaminated with water at very differing amounts in we different some places. It had
0: thick water. Yeah, It was,
1: it was puddling throughout the runway.
0: thick water. Yeah.
1: They found that there is an embankment with the LLZ area located at the extension of Runway 11, 100 meters from its end, i.e. 3% of the total Runway 11 length, and on the runway centerline. This embankment is not described in the airport manual or the airport diagram, diagram, which is a problem. Because they hit that. And it's within the runway end safety area, which we don't really talk about the RISA in this case. They didn't really bring it up, but But it is.
3: There are requirements. (laughs) There are. For the flatness of the terrain and the RISA.
1: Yes. And in this case, the RISA was not maintained because there was a big giant embankment with an antenna on it just at the end of the runway.
0: What is with them putting (laughs) at the end of the runway like that?
1: (laughs) Dangerous things. (laughs) Or
3: like Toronto that had the opposite problem, where there was a sudden nothing at the end of the (laughs) runway.
1: Which is just as much of a problem.
0: It should be flat.
1: We have something dangerous within the end area of the runway basically
0: how have they not figured out that this is a bad idea
1: i mean the reese is pretty much required by icao and a lot of airports find a way to get around it but some just don't care
3: this is foreshadowing (laughs) they're like
1: geography
3: this is foreshadowing for next week too
1: unfortunately you know way too much about next week now (laughs) we're gonna have to find somebody i'm not
0: gonna freaking remember anything are you kidding me well
1: we'll see because we might be recording that one like tomorrow or tuesday so you know way too much (laughs)
0: think I remember what we talked about at the beginning of this episode. It's okay. You gave me way too much credit.
1: That's all right. Anyways, finally, the last finding I'm doing. They found that the tower personnel did not have at hand the certified data on current direction velocity of the surface wind. Data received from meteorological services was delayed. So in other words, and this part really bothered me, and that's why I left this one in here. The air traffic controllers didn't have live wind data at the airport, which even in, even in the 90s is kind of like, what the heck?
2: That's kind of absurd. (laughs) Like,
1: every major airport on Earth at this point usually has some kind of live wind data from somewhere on the airport, even in the 90s. Like, this is...
3: And this, what
2: I would go so far as to say was causal, because...
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, it was.
2: Wait, didn't you say they had a bunch of like sensors? The
1: the low level wind shear sensors that was developed before this. Like that was a thing before this accident. And that and this airport didn't even have just live wind data at one point anywhere on the airport for the air traffic controllers.
2: That's stupid.
1: Yeah, they were getting delayed data just like the ATIS,
3: which meant that they didn't have live data to feed to the pilots who could have made the decision to not land. On that runway, they could have opted to change runway direction, could have opted to change runways altogether had they had accurate information, which would have thereby
0: prevented the entire accident.
1: Needless to say, Warsaw has changed a bit, and that is not the case anymore.
0: I would also argue, though, that if they were just paying attention to their instruments, they would have realized that they shouldn't have been landing there anyway. Yes. Yes, agreed. I do want to point out that, yes, that was a problem, but also the pilots weren't doing their job. Yes, agreed. The monitoring pilot wasn't doing his job. Correct although you could also argue that the pilot flying also wasn't doing his job but also correct
1: sure. yep there was a lot of breakdowns it was more than one thing happening here it's just always like more always than one thing. so with that the probable cause
3: is i english
1: cause of the accident
3: Cause of the accident were incorrect decisions and actions of the flight crew taken in situation when the information about wind shear at the approach to the runway was received. Wind shear was produced by the front just passing the aerodrome. The front was accompanied by intensive variation of wind parameters as well as by heavy rain on the aerodrome itself. Actions of the flight crew were also affected by design features of the aircraft which limited the feasibility of applying available braking systems as well as by insufficient information in the aircraft operations manual relating to the increase of the landing distance.
1: I still, I mean, the one thing in the manual, yeah, sure, okay, they should have the calculation, but also... They should have had the weather data. They had plenty of information in the cockpit because they had live wind data from the aircraft. They had weather radar information. They had their ground speed, which is arguably the most important thing for the go-around. They also had information about whether or not their spoilers and their reversers deployed. So they had all the information they needed to make a decision to go around. And yet... They didn't. They didn't. So I, I, I argue that... Almost entirely, this falls in the crew not paying attention. It was CRM.
0: Yeah, it would have been nice if they had, like, current information and stuff, but if they, literally, the aircraft told them that they had a tailwind of 18 knots.
1: Right. CRM just fell apart completely. Just completely. Well, ask me. as
0: we talked about, CRM was kind of a new thing.
1: Yes, kind of, but still, it was a thing. All right. Recommendations. There's not a lot of these that the Aircraft Operations Manual, A320A, Volume 2, page 11.70-3, and Volume 2, page 8.20-8, Chapter, quote, Supplementary Procedures, end quote, should be complemented with corrections to the landing distance in case of the landing approach at speed increased for the reason of wind shear. I agree, but also the whole point to this, so the whole reason that they didn't really have that calculation in there, I mean, yes, for wind shear, you should add a little bit, but the numbers that they were talking about for this flight don't require calculation because you shouldn't be landing with a 10-knot-plus tailwind per the aircraft operating manual. So them landing with the speeds that they did are just quite literally not worth calculating. It should just be go-around.
0: <laughs> you can't always Wings go around. around.
1: they recommend that possibilities should be analyzed to introduce the emergency use of ground spoilers and thrust reversers independently of meeting the criteria imposed by aircraft logics, which I protest they, they did not change because they should not <laughs> and Airbus, I'm sure was like, mm, no, <laughs> we did that <laughs> no. for a reason. I love the next one too. They recommend the possibility should be considered to modify the thrust reverser system to enable the use of more than 71% N1 in the emergency. No. Airbus specifically will not allow them to go above 71% thrust on on thrust reversers because it will do damage to the airplane. Even in an emergency, it's not good. It's not going to do good things for the airplane. It actually could hinder its ability to slow down. They did these calculations for a reason. Every aircraft actually has a very specific thrust level that it cannot exceed during reverse. That's just math and science. So 71% is very specific for a reason. (laughs) I understand they wanted to give a recommendation on like, oh, Airbus should have been doing them a favor to slow them down faster, but no. It wouldn't uh, have helped. (laughs) It wouldn't have helped. So anyway, But
0: they didn't.
1: Right. For the Polish civil aviation authorities, they recommend the system of collecting and distributing meteorological information should be adapted to the level equal to recommendations of Annex 3 of the ICAO convention, i.e. live wind data at the airport and just communicating wind shear data from specifics from the flight landing before back to the next pilot landing, and so on. They recommend the embankment with the new LLZ aerial near the end of runway 11 should be described in the AIP Poland, so in the airport's chart. That's it. That's all they recommended. CRM?
0: (laughs) Hello! (laughs)
1: They should get our t-shirts. Wow. Just, like, really maddening just really maddening
0: you know it's honestly surprising to me how like simple things could be avoided if you just talk to people yep pretty
1: much you know what i mean
0: Pretty much. like just talk to somebody yep like hey this is uh up yes (laughs) like the airplane's saying that like maybe we shouldn't do this maybe you should maybe right maybe we don't (laughs) i have a recommendation
3: can uh-huh. we have an oral and visual warning when the tailwind component exceeds a certain
0: value?
1: That's a good idea.
0: Thank you. I wonder if they have that. Do they have that now?
1: Well, Do you what know? with them having wind shear warnings in cockpits now, they probably have something similar.
0: Like beep, 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 beep. And then mm-hmm. they have to look and they go, oh, look.
1: Something like that.
0: Just a suggestion. Put all
2: the alarms
1: there, Everything. <laughs> when we get to the post episode, I will pull up a video that I saw just recently, as a matter of fact, of a, a wind shear warning just before touchdown and how the pilots handled it. And it's a pretty ugly thing, but we'll, we'll pull it up because it's it is a thing. It's are, those,
0: are those like brown pants situations? Uh-huh.
1: Absolutely, they are.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like when you know you're going to hit somebody, like when you're driving yep. a car, you're mm-hmm. like,
1: well, this is inevitable. This is inevitable now. Yep, pretty much.
0: All right. That was Lufty flight. I don't remember that flight number.
1: 2904. There we go.
3: Yes, it is the convention among airport personnel that Lufthansa is nicknamed Lufty. Lufty, That's cute. I don't know if they're cute, but you know what? they I like the name. They're monstrous. They are a huge organization company thing.
0: Yeah. Yes. Corporation. Anyway, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. As always, check out the Patreon, my weekly plug, to give us money. Oh, hey, give us reviews.
2: Yes, give us reviews. Yeah, all the reviews, please. Do you like us? Do you like listening to us? I think if you've made it this far, you probably enjoy listening to us. Can you please give us a review where you listen? Please and thank you. Love you. Yes. (laughs) Love you.
1: I do think it would be interesting to take the idea that my mother suggested yesterday that she heard from another podcast and maybe run with that and make a competition out of it and say like, hey, we want to reach X amount by... You know, a certain like a certain time frame, like a certain amount of reviews by a certain time frame. And then we will do a giveaway.
3: Oh, we could do that. We we'll would do like a giveaway to of that diamond with diamonds number. that Miranda needs to finish.
2: <sighs> Listen, Linda, it's we almost can... done. OK, I was like, we can group work on it to finish it. It's we like this to. big. I saw. You've seen it before. Or pick a
1: piece of merch. Like
2: Speaking of merch,
3: we this... had a request for merch. It did. I'll work on it this week. We had the cutest request for merch I've ever heard in my life. We have a listener who reached out to us on Facebook and said, hey, can you put toddler stuff on your merch site? Because my toddler now dances to your intro and outro music. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) And I'm here for it. That's so great. So we're on it. Don't worry.
0: I'll do it this week. It'll be on probably by Wednesday. I looked briefly, and there are
3: toddler-sized
0: t-shirts and long-sleeve t-shirts. Yeah, there's a, there's actually quite a few things, but I haven't put it on because there's most of our listeners are, you know, of adult age. There's also baby onesies. Again, most of our listeners are of adult age, but if you want to get your baby a onesie, sure. love so about it. Check it out. You could probably check it out now, because this comes out next week, so you can check it out on the website, on the merch page now, and see. It should be up there. Unless I forgot, because, uh someone's on spring break now but i have a lot of time this week so okay all right thank you for listening we really do appreciate it thank you to our patrons you're like the only reason we can like keep this entire thing not
3: the only reason
0: well they're most of the reason they're a driving factor they are definitely (laughs) a driving factor they pay for the podcast practically a flying factor a flying factor everyone everyone's (laughs) support is
1: Everyone's- Crucial. Supported. Crucial. Great. Yes.
0: But the people who pay us money pay for the podcast. <laughs> so like everything. There. You pay for page. <laughs> thank you. You pay for the editing software. You pay for the website. You pay for everything. So. Won't
3: disagree. Thank you. We really appreciate you. We do.
0: But also, we appreciate everyone. So thank you very much. We hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up.